Well, welcome to a very special bonus season of The Collective Podcast. We are so glad you guys have trusted us with your time today. You know, earlier this summer, we got our collective women together for a beautiful evening full of worshiping our King and women being able to share tough topics from a biblical worldview. And it was an amazing night. It was so amazing, in fact, that we wanted to package them all together so that you can access them anytime. And I'm so thrilled for you to spend the next couple weeks with us just listening to everything that was shared that night. So join us right now as we listen in. Okay, I'm Summer, like I already said. So, everybody looks comfy in their chairs, most of you. If you don't have one, come just filter in. Um, who tonight, as they came in, checked underneath their chairs to make sure the screws were tight, the seat was good and sturdy, you weren't going to, like, dump out the back whenever you sat down? Anybody? Show of hands. Nobody checked their chair. No one was afraid they were going to bottom out. Why is that? Yeah, because chairs have a history of holding us up. Chairs have a history of doing what they've always done. And yet, why is it? that we have a God who's holy and sovereign and has proven trustworthy time and time again, and yet we second-guess him. We doubt him. It's a sobering thought, right? Well, tonight we're going to talk about intimacy with God. We're going to start by defining intimacy. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines intimacy as a warm friendship through long association. Think about that. You hear the words warm, friendship, and long association. You dig deeper into those words and you get words like um, gratitude, affection, secure, relationship, and time. Did you know that we were created for intimacy? In Genesis 2, it tells us that we were created to be without separation from God, in perfect communion with him, and yet sin fractured that. Psalm 139 tells us that there is nowhere we can go from God's presence, that he discerns our thoughts from afar, that he is well acquainted with our ways, that we are intricately woven, knit together in our mother's womb. That's intimate. It even tells us in Matthew 10, the hairs on our head are numbered. But like I said, sin fractured that. But God did all the work on the cross through his son to pay the penalty for our sin to reestablish that intimacy with us. He loves us so much that he did all the hard work, but we still have a part. And our part is to believe him and to trust him with our whole heart. We were made to love God and love others, and we can't do that without intimacy. Luke 10:27 says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody ever tried that? It's a tall order. So how do we do that? How do we love God with our whole heart? Well, we're going to talk about that tonight. If you're a note taker, this is where we're headed. We're going to talk about knowing God, believing God, and trusting God. Knowing him, believing him, and trusting him, and how those three things can lead to intimacy. So here we go. Knowing God, who does God say that he is? Well, we can know because he tells us in his word. He's given us the Bible, right? Like any other relationship that you have, you have to know someone to have intimacy, right? So I've got a slide behind me for a second. Just yell out to me. Who is this? Joanna Gaines. What do we know about Joanna Gaines? Fixer Upper. Magnolia. Waco, Texas. 
five kids, Chip Gaines. Yeah, did you know that her sister owns a plant store out of a little tiny Airstream? No one knows that. How about that she got really big hair when she comes out of the shower and she calls it taming her mane to make it really, yeah, right, right? I'm obsessed with Joanna Gaines. As a matter of fact, I refer to her as Jojo to my husband. And he thinks I'm crazy, which is great, right? But I don't know Joanna Gaines. Anybody have a friendship with Joanna Gaines or know her personally? No. I act at home like I know Joanna Gaines, but I don't know her. I do not have a relationship or a friendship with her. Many of us know lots of facts about God. We can spout them out, but we don't actually know him. We don't actually have a relationship with him. There's a difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing them. What's the difference? It's relationship. It's time spent. And so like I said, God gave us his word to know him, not just know about him, right? It tells us in the Bible that God's word instructs us. It enlightens us. It's pure and sweet like honey. It revives the soul, it gives strength to the weary, it comforts the hurting. But all of this means something to us because it teaches us and reminds us about God and his care. Knowing about God is more than just facts. The psalmist says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, who's on his law he meditates day and night. Delights in the law. Actually enjoys it and treasures it. That's having a relationship with the Lord. To take pleasure in his word, to behold him for who he is. So in order to know who God is, we have his word. But we shouldn't just get stuck there. It has to be more than just knowing him. It should start to produce something in us. It should produce belief. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says to his disciples, you know, who are people saying that I am? And then he looks at Simon Peter, and he says, but what about you, Peter? Who do you say that I am? So that's my second point tonight, believing God. Who do you say God is? And I'd ask you to actually answer that question for yourself. Who do you say God is? We have to move from knowing about God to actually believing him in order to trust him, which is our ultimate goal, right? Believing him is like the bridge to intimacy. It's the leaning in. It's the choosing, that air sounds like a river's behind me. The leaning in, it's the choosing, it's the actually having the faith, right? It's the taking the step. Choosing to believe God through the help of the Holy Spirit leads to intimacy. So earlier we mentioned that we were created to be in perfect unity with God, but sin separated it. Jackie Hill Perry in her most recent book says, the soil through which all sin grows is unbelief. I'm going to say that again. The soil through which all sin grows is unbelief. Often we will, we will sin unintentionally because we live on this side of heaven, right? However, more often than not, we are really intentional about our rebellion. We choose to love other things more than we love God because we don't believe him. So it might look like Idols in our lives, what scripture calls them. We, put, we um, run to other things like idols when we don't believe that God's really good. Or we don't believe that we can trust him. Or we don't believe he's faithful. Or maybe we don't believe this life is really just temporary. But it's um, evident that we have a belief issue because we continue to sin. In scripture, these idols are referred to as broken cisterns. 
There's these things that are supposed to hold water. They're supposed to satisfy us, but they're broken. Instead, we should be running to God, the source of living water. Oh, that's rain. I'm literally like, what is that? Oh, speaking of living water, um, but they're broken. Every time we run to these broken things, these idols, these things that aren't God, we're going to come up thirsty and we're going to come up dry, but not with God. We have a choice. We're either running to him or we're running from him. I came to know the Lord in high school. I would say that my walk with the Lord was bumpy at best. Probably like Jojo, I probably knew more about him than I actually knew him. I went to a, uh, a church. I had Christian friends. But in the deep recesses of my heart, I really desired approval and affirmation from others. It became this mountain in my life that I couldn't even see. And that led me running into the arms of a married man. I committed adultery, and then I sat in guilt and shame for a few years. It wasn't until I came to Watermark to celebrate recovery, which is now regeneration, that I actually confessed this sin for the first time. I started to believe that God's forgiveness was a real thing, that I could heal, that he was enough, he was trustworthy. But that's not even where the real breakthrough came. It came whenever I was asked to share my story on stage for the first time. I was petrified. What if people thought I had this like scarlet letter? What if my family was like, what in the world? What if I wasn't loved or wanted to be liked anymore? I had claimed that this sin didn't identify me, and yet I was so scared to say it out loud. And there it was, you guys, staring right back at me, my unbelief. It was the idol of self. It was pride. I had a choice in that moment to believe that his affirmation was what my soul truly craved. But I had to make a choice. You see, approval is where the enemy wanted to take me out. And honestly, he can still prowl there. But I've got a choice in who and what I'm going to believe every time the enemy prowls. In your life, it might look like, I know God's good, but I just can't let go of this boyfriend or this unhealthy relationship. Or maybe it looks like, I know God is faithful, and I have this wayward child that I just can't release, because what if they don't come back? Or maybe it looks like, um, I know that God is a perfect provider, and he's sovereign in all the things he does, but I just can't submit to this passive husband, because nothing's going to get done, especially not the way that I would have it done. Maybe it looks like, um, trials and suffering, and you believe that God can be your perfect comforter, but yet there's this one thing that you just can't give up because that's the thing that's providing that comfort for you. Those are real things, you guys. But we forsake nearness with God when we get stuck in these things. In my story, I be believed that God was enough, but I still desired approval. When we get stuck at the root of the lies in our butts, intimacy with God is hindered. What is the lie that you're buying at the root of your butts? I know God's good, but. I know God's faithful, but. I know God is sovereign, but. Write it down. Do you know your ditches? Do you know where the enemy wants to take you out? For me, it was approval. Is it control, busyness, 
Is it success or power? Is it comfort? Is it technology? Is it comparison? How are you confessing and disciplining against your ditches? James 4.8 says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded. You can only choose one. You're either choosing God or you're choosing idols. This verse is both an invitation and a promise. God's inviting you to draw near. What does that mean? It means read, know him. It means choose to worship him in circumstances that are really hard. It means let him counsel you. It means be in communion with him. And then there's a promise. He promises that he will help us to resist temptation. He promises us to show us how to be sorrowful for our sin. He promises us how to think on eternal things. He promises us that he will show us that he truly is worthy of all of our affection. That there's something in loving him with our whole hearts. And for me, it was showing me that his approval was what I truly craved. I want to recognize that some of you here tonight have um, broken relationships with your earthly fathers, and I can empathize with you. I know that sometimes that can lead us to believing that um, maybe God's not always going to tell me the truth, or he doesn't have my best interest in mind, and so he's probably going to hold out on me. Or maybe it's just that you don't believe he's good because your earthly father's not good. Life's disappointments lead to seeds of mistrust, and then that's where lies start to take root. But let me encourage you tonight that God is nothing like our Heavenly Father. He is perfect and He is trustworthy. So don't let your earthly father or your experiences like that hold you back. All right, so what do we do? We now know we have this big butt, right, in our lives that's holding us back from intimacy with the Lord. And what do we do with it? We confess it. Mark 9 tells a story of a boy with an unclean spirit. And this spirit causes him to foam at the mouth and gnash his teeth. It throws his body to the ground and makes him rigid. It even throws him into water and into fire, trying to destroy him. And this father brings his son to Jesus, and he says this, But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cries out, I believe. Help my unbelief. The father was held back by if God could, his ability. But when confronted with his doubt, he confessed what he chose to believe, and then he asked for help. And so what does that mean for us? Confess it to God. Whatever it is that you feel like you can't trust him with, that you can't believe him with, he can handle it. Whenever you're gripping because you're so fearful that he's not going to follow through or he is going to hold on you or maybe he's not going to be faithful in this area, slowly let those things become ungripped. And it might be really hard and it might be tearful. It could be an ugly cry. But he will meet you there. He will comfort you there. He shows up. He speaks. He'll remind you that what he says is true. And then repent. Start taking those steps of choosing to believe. Man, let your heart start to turn towards him. Okay, Lord, I know you're asking for this. I don't want to give it up, and it's really hard. I don't even know how. 
but I'm going to choose to believe that you're faithful. I'm going to unpry my fingers. I'm going to, I'm going to believe you, what you say is true. And then ask him for help. God knows we need his help. He gave us the power of the Holy Spirit in dwelling inside of us. Scripture tells us that when we ask the Holy Spirit for help, he controls us and compels us. Guys, that's intimate. He's living inside you. Tap into that. There is power there. So where you feel like you just can't, he can. And he will. He's waiting for you to draw near. Belief can often require discipline, right? We've got to take some steps. We've got to own some parts. And so I want to talk just for a minute about spiritual disciplines. There's a lot of them. These are just tools or practical ways that can help you to dig a little bit deeper and start taking steps towards believing God. Um, I want to caution you that these two can become idols if we elevate them over our love of God. They are meant to help us turn towards him. However, they are um, really good tools. And so I'm going to give some examples from my own life. So... Well, let me give you some just random examples. There's reading, worship, prayer, solitude, abstinence, fasting, Sabbath, service. There's a ton of them. But I wanted to give you some examples of the way that plays out in my own life. So I really struggle with rest and control. I think that I've got to get it all done. And if I'm not doing it, no one's going to get it done. If I rest, then it's just going to pile up. And so I've got to keep going. And so my family um, does Sabbath every weekend. And so what that looks like for us is on Friday night, we get to dinner, and we wash our hands of all the hard work that's happened all week long. And we talk about all the things that we've done and accomplished. We celebrate the things that God has done. And then we wash our hands, and we actually sit down for dinner. And then we celebrate all the things that he has taught us, the things that we've learned, ways that he's shown up. Sometimes it's grieving things that we've lost, but we do it together. And then we go to bed early, and we don't set an alarm. And then we get up the next morning. And it's not legalistic. Like, we don't say we can't do this and you can't do that. It's not like that. It's more just, hey, We have no schedule and no to-do list. What's going to breathe life into our family today? And sometimes it's me going away from my toddler and getting some time away. And sometimes it's, hey, we're going to go to the zoo because that sounds fun. That's going to recharge me. So it can look a lot of different ways. But what that teaches me time and time and time again is that I'm not in control and that rest is possible. That when I'm not going and doing and accomplishing, God still is. He doesn't need me. He chooses to use me, but he doesn't need me. Another one that we do, or I do, has anybody seen the movie War Room? So in that movie, you know, she gets in her closet and she writes her prayers out and pins them on the wall. Um, My closet, there's no private place in my house really because I have a toddler, but um, I have this board, and it's just like a foam board, and on it I have pinned up prayers. And so I will write down specific people, circumstances, circumstances, Whatever it is, and I attach scripture to those things. And I try to get away in a room or in a closet or wherever I can, and I pray through these things. And I attach scripture to them. And where I really have a hard time depending on anybody but myself because I crave self-sufficiency in my flesh, it starts to teach me that the battle does not belong to me. The battle belongs on my knees. God changes my heart as I start praying these prayers. I see him answer them in ways that I could never have imagined or expected, and honestly, more beautifully than I ever could. And then sometimes it's, man, I'm asking for this thing, and I don't even want it anymore. So, again, practical ways that you can deepen your intimacy or your relationship with the Lord, but um, obviously not necessary things. Okay, so nothing new so far, right? We need to know God, not just about him. Um, We want to believe him, and that looks like getting everything out of the way that hinders. We want to confess and repent of things that we're not trusting him with. And let those butts of unbelief get out of the way. 
And then true intimacy starts to come. And that's where we begin trusting him. And that takes time. Remember our definition from earlier? Long association. Trusting God doesn't happen overnight. So point three is trusting God. How do we live out what we now know and say we believe? The more we believe, the more God's going to prove trustworthy. Earlier, I said that the soil of unbelief, or the, um, the soil where sin grows is unbelief. And now we're going to talk about if we have this soil of belief, we're starting to believe him, there's three different plants we're going to talk about. And so we're going to start, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read in Jeremiah 17. If you don't have your Bibles, you can do it on your phone. And we're also going to put it up on the screen behind me. But I'd love for you to read along with me. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Remember those broken cisterns? Whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. I'm thirsty just reading that. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. In verses 5 through 6, you can see the effects of trusting our flesh. You see a picture of a shrub by the desert, parched in the wilderness, thinking about salt with being parched already. No good comes. We're not going to camp out here. You get the idea. We're going to focus on verses 7 through 8. It draws images from Psalm 1, so go read Psalm 1 later. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Trust described in this tree shows utter dependence. It's dependence that is completely outside of himself. Nothing in him. And, there, and there's blessing that's promised. And we want that blessing, right? And he tells us how we can get it. He says... He's like a tree planted by water, planted, not temporary, not every now and then, but planted by the water, planted by the only source that can actually give it life. And then it goes on to say that sends out roots by the stream. There's action here. You send out your roots. What do roots do? They transport water. They absorb nutrients. Roots anchor a tree into the ground. And so what do we do when we plant ourselves next to the source of life? Well, we get all the nourishment that we need, and we're anchored. We're steady. It's consistent. This tree's never thirsty. It's not one big gulp. It's a consistent intake of the nourishment that it needs. And then it says, and it does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Notice it says, when heat comes, not if it comes. It's coming. We're all going to experience heat, right? And then it goes on to say that it's not anxious in the year of drought, an entire year of drought. Now think about that. A large tree, no rain. A whole year. And it's green. It's not anxious. It doesn't fear. Why? Because it's planted next to the source, the only thing that it needs that gives it life. 
And it doesn't just have leaves. It bears fruit. Because it's rooted next to the source of life, it needs nothing else to flourish. This tree isn't just surviving, it's flourishing. Many of us currently find ourselves in a season of drought. We just feel dry. Or maybe some of us just got out of one and we're weary. We're just wiped out. And then some of us don't know it yet, but we're headed into one. Because it promises us that it will come. That heat is coming. But we can be the tree that flourishes. We can be the tree that rejoices in suffering. That's a crazy thought, right? Rejoices in suffering. Why? Because of intimacy with the Lord. Because over time, our roots are planted so firmly by the living water of Jesus and anchored that our trust becomes the Lord. We don't just survive, we rejoice, we flourish. And God promises to work out something good in us during these trials. And then it goes on to say that it bears fruit. Fruit is evidence of intimacy with God. We should be bearing fruit as we abide with him. In Galatians 5 it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It is not something we try to produce on our own or that we muster up to produce. This is something that the Spirit does in us. What's our job? Dependence. We send out our roots. We plant ourselves by the source. And then what do we do? We wait. We wait. And then God produces fruit. Our part is just the abiding. So there's one more tree I want to talk about before we wrap up. And this one is found in Mark 11. And it's a fig tree. And Jesus is hungry. And he goes to this fig tree. And it has green leaves. It's in leaf, scripture says. And he goes over to it. And there are no figs. And so he gets mad. And he curses the fig tree. And then the story just keeps going. And I read that around Easter time. And I was like, what in the world was wrong with that tree? Like, why was he so mad? And then as you dig deeper, you find out that he was angry at this tree because it was not because it was failing to produce the fruit that he wanted. It was because it was appearing to have fruit. It wasn't backing up its fruitful impression. And so what can that look like for us? It can look like a lot of words and a lot of action and no righteousness. No actual abiding in intimacy with Christ. Our personal lives can look in leaf, Right? We can look like super mom, like we're nailing it every day, self-sufficient, getting it done. It can appear to look patient. It can appear to look like you've got the perfect marriage. You can even look like an A-list Christian who's got a jam-packed schedule full of spiritual activities and be withered at the root. And the worst part is, is our leaves can even fool us. We think that we're bearing fruit, but we're not truly abiding. Intimacy deepens when we ask the Lord to expose those things in us, when we're doing it on our own and we're not depending on him, we can trust him with it. What will the Lord find when he has a close inspection on your heart? Will he find leaves or will he find figs there too? So this has been a lot of information and a lot of scriptures. What does it all boil down to? Intimacy is hard work. 
It is hard work, and it is worth it, but there is no secret sauce. I can't tell you how to be intimate with the Lord, but I can tell you that it all boils down to knowing him, to treasuring his word as truth. And because it's true, choosing to believe him, getting rid of anything that hinders or gets in the way, and taking steps towards him and depend on him like your life depends on it. And then the more you depend on him, you begin to trust him over time, wholeheartedly, wherever he would lead you and whatever he would ask of you. And guys, you will develop a deep affection for him. You will begin to love God with your whole heart. Okay, so just last year, I walked through one of the hardest years of my life. This is where I get emotional. In 2019, my dad was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. And I was wrestling with the Lord at that time already because he didn't know Jesus, which made the diagnosis even harder. Then 2020 hits, COVID, the world shuts down, everyone's in complete isolation. I suffered two miscarriages back to back, losing babies that I desperately wanted to meet. And then I lost my daddy to cancer in December. And guys, man, the storm was swirling. It was just rolling and rolling around me. And I can honestly say there was an eerie peace the entire time. Now, was it hard? Yes. Um, Was there a lot of begging and pleading in that war room? You can bet. But guys, God had intimately prepared me for each one of those things. And in the seeking him, and as he continued to prove that I could believe him and that he was faithful, a deep love and affection for him began to form a real intimacy with him. (laughs) I could rejoice in the storms because I knew who my God was and I knew he was trustworthy. I was rooted by the source. I confessed when I was really struggling to believe. I didn't muster faith that I was too weary to have. I knew I believed, and I trusted, and I just kept returning. The hymn that anchored my heart during this time was, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Anybody ever heard it? It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. And guys, that sums it up. Turn your eyes upward, behold him for who he is, bow your heart and all your other affections to him, Everything just fades. It's true intimacy. And when you live like this, you're not going to miss out what he's doing. You're not going to miss him in the details. I had the sweetest ending to all those storms at the end of 2020. God uniquely placed me in a position where I got to share Christ with my dad, and he accepted the Lord. And he's in heaven today. And that made everything I had to work for worth it. All of it. I'd do it all again if I got that at the end. I would do it all again to get the affection I have for my God again, too. I had a really intimate moment at the end of 2020 with my heavenly father and my earthly father. And that's a gift. Don't miss him. He's in the details. And so in conclusion, maybe tonight you need to go home and you need to seek him. You need to ask him to reveal who he is, not just facts about him. Maybe you have a relationship with God but there's something that's hindering you from believing him and actually trusting him. Get real with him. Tell him what those butts are. 
Start asking him to help you release them. Maybe you've got a sin to confess. Maybe you're holding back something you need to surrender. Or maybe you've got a ditch that just needs disciplining. Or maybe tonight you're just weary. You're coming out of one of those storms and you're tired. You've got burdens that you need to cast upon him and you need to believe he cares for you. Whatever your next step is, I hope you don't leave here tonight with just these nuggets of information of what intimacy is with God or some more knowledge to put in your journal and then stash away. I pray that tonight that you would leave with a true desire to love God with your whole heart, that you would depend on him like it's your lifeline. And I pray that over time you'd start trusting him in a different way than you ever have and that he'd show up in a way that he never has and that you don't miss him. Intimacy is constantly returning to the one who knows you, the one who created you for himself, who longs for your unhindered affection and desires to give you abundant life. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for every woman sitting in these chairs. Lord, we want to know you with our whole heart. We desire deep intimacy with you. Lord, make a way. When we don't believe, show us. When we can't take steps towards you, help us. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much and desiring intimacy with us so much that you sent your son to pay the penalty on the cross to reestablish that right relationship with you. Lord, if someone in this room does not know that, God, I pray they'd raise their hand tonight and they'd ask for help. I pray that they would know that whatever it is in their soul that they think they're craving, God, it's you. And it's you alone. We love you. Thank you. Thank you for being a God that's trustworthy. It's in your name we pray. Amen.